Michael Atkins needed a job fast. He was 19, just graduated high school, and wasn't sure what he wanted to do with his life. And his girlfriend had just given birth. Michael was suddenly a dad. I was paralyzed by this fact that I don't know how to be a father. I didn't have a father myself. Still, Michael made a vow to his baby daughter that she would grow up in a safe and loving home with two parents, not just a single mom like he had. Part of that vow was to be a strong presence in her life and she would not grow up fatherless, whether that meant being there for her emotionally, being there for her physically. I would be something for her that I never had. One day, he saw a posting for a teacher's aide at a school in Park Hill, Denver. He thought this was the perfect job. He could support his family and give back to the kids in his community, too. But the principal told Michael he was too young. He didn't have the training. So he went to another school. A secretary there told Michael she had a job for him. He got excited. And then she said, we need a part-time custodian. I walked away angry from that moment. Mm. And I had no desire initially to take that position at all. But his older brother, Skeeter, reminded him that he had to step up and take care of his daughter now. This was about more than just his pride. So he went back the next day and applied. And he made a second vow to keep finding a way to help out the kids in his neighborhood, the ones who were growing up like he had, with a lack of guidance. What he didn't know was that one day, he would have to choose between that vow and the one he had made to his family. This is Homemade, an original podcast by Rocket Mortgage about the meaning of homes and what we can learn about ourselves in them. I'm Stephanie Fu. School wasn't always Michael's strong suit. When he was a kid, he was bused into a mostly white school district where he felt like his teachers didn't get him. He remembers a teacher whispering, here come the bus kids, when he arrived at school. Teachers also corrected his speech. They didn't like the way he grew up talking in Park Hill. Even the Black teachers told him to stop. I distinctly remember telling one of my teachers, what's up? And no, it's, it's hello, Mr. King here, right? And not me meaning any disrespect or harm, right? It's just the way that we connect in the community where I was from. I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel loved. And I really pushed back on this idea of me just falling into spaces of compliance. Hmm. I got into a lot of trouble in middle school. I got into a lot of fights and failing grades by the time I was in seventh and eighth grade. But there was one person who could set him straight and send him on the right path. His brother, Skeeter. Skeeter was a good student, star athlete, and his school's prom king. He really pushed me to be the best version of myself, whether that was inside the classroom or in our community or in our neighborhood. Skeeter kept Michael in line, told him to stay away from certain people, gave him hell when he got into fights, encouraged him to finish school, which Michael managed to do. And Skeeter kept on him, said he needed to be the best father he could be in supporting his daughter Diamond. So Michael did. He spent shifts tidying up the lunchroom, cleaning the restrooms, sweeping the hallway. It was in that hallway one day that Michael heard a commotion. I hear a door open and it's pushed so forcibly, the back of it bangs against the doorstop. And then I turn around and I see young black male, fist balled up. Obviously, he's in 
a moment of pain, frustration, and anger. A young kid named Daniel sat on the floor. Michael went up to him. I said, you know, I understand what it's like being angry. I also understand what it's like going to school every day and maybe not wanting to be there. Hmm. I asked him, what do you need? Like, what's going on? And he wouldn't say anything to me at first. His teacher said Daniel was dangerous, that he needed anger management. Michael's teachers had said the same things about him in school. Straight away, Daniel saw Michael as someone he could trust. And the next time that we connected, the next time I saw him, he wasn't in this space of anger. Hmm. His body language changed. It's like, hey, like someone's asking me what I need. By Michael's second year at the school, anytime Daniel struggled with something, the teacher sent for Michael, and he'd give him pep talks. Like, what is the class you're taking? Mm. Oh, you have Spanish, and that wasn't your first choice, so that's upsetting you, right? Let's go to the counselor and try and advocate. But no, if you advocate and you still don't get what you want, it doesn't mean you can't show up authentically and learn something in these moments, right? And his grades improved. Hmm. His attendance was better. Michael was good with kids, especially the ones that needed a little bit more attention. I knew there was other Daniels that needed me. Soon after, Michael got a promotion to full-time custodian at another school. There, he ran into Carrie, his old second-grade teacher, who was now a principal. Michael told her that he wanted to be a teacher's assistant. A few weeks later... Carrie called Michael into her office, said she'd found some money in the budget, and assigned him to work with kids struggling with reading and writing. He was thrilled. I also felt the heavy weight of anxiety because for years, no one trusted me. You can mop the floor, here's a broom. I had to make sure that I handled that moment with care and I made her proud. Michael proved he could relate to kids like Daniel, get them to open up. But now he would have to work with students in an actual classroom. It's about, hey, now you're getting paid to improve reading scores. And I'm asking myself, what training do I have to improve reading scores? <laughs> One of his first students was a girl named Mary Ann. The goal was to get her to read 10 words in a row. They went over them again and again, class after class. And then finally, she did it. Maryam jumped up and gave Michael a huge hug. And he thought, I want to do this forever. Who did you want to be for the students? I wanted to be what my older brother was to me for the students, right? So, so badly. Mm. I wanted them to be seen. I wanted them to be heard. Michael kept working with the students. And he kept making good on his vow to his daughter. His relationship with her mother ended, but he shared custody of Diamond, and he remained a constant presence in her life. Absolutely. Yeah, making sure that I was a strong father figure, whether that meant being there for her emotionally, being there for her physically, going to her games, going to her cheer competitions, etc. But then one night, Michael received a frantic call. I remember hearing this deep, emotional, hysterical, like, scream. And then I heard my little brother's voice. And he said, you need to come to mom's. And then I hear another scream. That's my mom in the background screaming. Skeeter had been in a car accident and died. I remember just sitting on the floor crying. 
I remember going to my mom's right after. I'm getting there as fast as I possibly could. And when I got there, I just remember hugging her and holding her. And when we left the hospital, we went to the site of the accident. And his car was gone, but I could smell him. He had a bottle of cologne in the car, and it was um, his favorite cologne. And I can actually just sit there and smell him. Michael looked up and realized he was standing right across from the football field where the two of them had played pickup games, a memory Michael always cherished. I could literally see him running on that football field. And I remember, um, like, recalling my last conversation with him. He said, you need to do better. And my brother's passing. It's kind of like he was aligning things for me to step into my greatness. For Michael, greatness meant becoming a teacher. The next few years were busy. Michael went to college at night to study behavioral science and education. And in the fall of 2006, he started his first job as an official certified second grade teacher. Oh my goodness. I remember standing in front of these kids like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. The first two, three weeks was some of the scariest moments of my life. The nerves passed and Michael started getting results. He says student grades improved. And there were other successes you can't measure with grades. Michael's first Christmas as a teacher, one of his students, Christian, came up to him. Christian had gotten into a lot of trouble until Michael came to the school. And he had a present for Michael. And he pulls out a gallon bottle of Mexican hot sauce. Wow. And three quarters of it is gone. <laughs> so he wanted to please me so much that he was willing to go into the cabinets, <laughs> take mom's big jar of hot sauce and bring it to school. Oh, he stole mom's hot sauce for you. I couldn't do anything but just hug him, right? Thank you, Christian, for stealing your mother's hot sauce. <laughs> but I had so many moments like that my first year teaching with those kids who just graduated high school a couple of years ago. Over time, parents trusted Michael so much that they called him for advice. They invited him over for dinner, many of them Michael had grown up with in Park Hill. These were relationships that went way beyond the classroom. I would go knock on doors and get students out of bed and bring them to school. Really? And I've done all the good things, right? Go to their football games. Wow. Show up at their recitals, at their events. Oh, that sounds amazing. Where did you draw the line? I didn't have a line. Yeah. It's hard to set boundaries because once you have children looking up to you and you have parents calling you on the weekend. Once you have a kid who needs you. Yeah, right. Education and service of others and building community. And Michael brought the values his brother Skeeter taught him into the classroom. Like, you remember the what would Jesus do bracelets? It was like, what would Skeeter do? Mm. He had a chance to live those values in his own home, too. At Godsman Elementary, where he was teaching, he met another passionate teacher, Lauren. Here's Lauren. He was definitely the big man on campus. It just seemed like everyone respected him, and his wanting to build strong community was very impressive to me. Their friendship turned romantic. They moved in together, and they lived and breathed education. We go to work, stay at work 10 hours a day, come home answer emails, do planning, eat dinner together. And it was just like, this is my workaholic buddy. 
Michael and Lauren married and had two girls, Leighton and Micah. And Michael's first daughter, Diamond, spent weekends with them. Finally, he felt like he had the family and life he'd always dreamed of. His career was blossoming, too. He earned two master's degrees, one in linguistic diverse education and one in leadership. And that leadership degree helped Michael eventually become a principal at Stedman Elementary in Park Hill, the neighborhood where he grew up. This was a notable achievement. Black men make up only 2% of teachers at all public elementary schools in America. And a very small percentage of them become principals. I went out for drinks and me and my wife came home and I cried. Never in a, a million years would I have thought that I'd be in a position to serve my community to the level of truly making an impact in our young and our youth. Yeah, it felt like I became president of Park Hill for a moment. As principal, he undid the policies he suffered through as a child, like strict rules on language and self-expression. He wanted kids to be themselves at school, like they were in the neighborhood. So I get the greetings of the what's up, Mr. Atkins. What's going on? What's up, young man? My children can wear baseball caps in the building. It's a part of their cultural identity. And it's up to me. It's my job to make you feel comfortable within being your authentic self. Michael's workdays got longer. At the gym by 5 a.m., at his desk by 7, he might make it home for dinner, usually not. He kept his phone by the bed. If it buzzed, he picked it up every time. We don't fail here. It's real lives at stake, real experiences at stake, future generations at stake. Michael carried everything. There was no assistant principal to support him. I no longer have a classroom of 30. And I have a school of, of 400. Mm. And they all need me in some capacity or another. Because you had 400 Daniels. I have 400 Daniels. Absolutely. I call my school community my babies because that's what they are. But he also had two young babies at home. Michael and his wife, Lauren, used to work hard to support their students. That was okay for a long time until he and Lauren actually had children of their own. One morning, Michael's middle daughter, two-year-old Leighton, woke up sick, really lethargic. So they rushed her to the hospital. Doctors needed to do a bunch of tests and didn't know how long it would take. Lauren told Michael to clear his schedule the next day. Michael said okay, except for this one 30-minute window when he had to shoot a school recruitment video. The morning of, Leighton's condition looked stable, so Michael went to the shoot. But then what actually ended up happening is probably an hour after he left, her sugars dropped. I remember coming back when I walked in the room, it was just total chaos. Like there was four or five doctors in there. There was nurses running back and forth. My wife was like in tears. Leighton sitting there looking stunned. She's just sweating profusely. I remember saying like, wow, you were at work when that just happened. And just, you know, I wasn't mad, but just kind of making that connection of that was probably, hopefully, one of the scariest things we'll have to do with her, and you were out at work. Leighton was okay in the end. But a few weeks later, Michael got home really late, exhausted. He walked in the door, and Lauren was sitting at the kitchen table. Michael asked her how she was doing. And I just kind of gave the, oh, fine. And he could tell something was wrong, asked me, hey, what's wrong? I said nothing. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to go get in the shower. So when he's in the shower, I went and laid down. 
He came in the bedroom and he keeps his phone right on the bed next to him. And I just heard it buzz right away and he grabs it. And I just remember turning over, you know, sitting up and just saying, hey, like, this isn't going to work. I am doing all of these things and I feel like a single mom. Another paralyzing moment in my life. Just those words. Because I had this vow of always being present for my children, not being what my father wasn't for me, right? Mm -hmm. Making sure that I am there emotionally, physically. And those words just really, really made me go into automatic deep reflection over what was my purpose as a father. After Lauren said she felt like a single mom, Michael realized this had been going on for years. Moments of neglect clouded by his rationalizations, like the time he missed his older daughter Diamond's high school cheerleading competition. I remember her being extremely, extremely upset about it to the point where she didn't talk to me for about a week. And how did you feel when she wasn't talking to you? Were you like, you know what, she's right? I would equate it to I'm doing this for the family. That was like my excuse always. Like, yeah, I know, I know, I know I'm working a lot, but I'm doing it for the family. Michael had to honor his vow to his daughters, but it wasn't easy. He'd made a similar vow to his students, to his community. Two families, two vows, and no Skeeter to set him straight. Yeah, that was like, how can I continue to keep my family, my school family, intact and give them what they need? And how does that play out in the long run, right? When you're talking about children and families that look up to you and wanting you to come over on the weekends for dinners and wanting you to be just as much as their physical family as their physical family is. So Michael had to learn to say no sometimes. But when he could, when he did say yes, he started bringing Lauren and the girls along. We just had dinner at one of my uh, students' parents' house this weekend, Saturday night, and had a good time. So you're uniting the two families. Absolutely. One extended family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. At school, Michael had to learn to delegate. Michael hired an assistant principal. And just like that, a load was lifted. They trade overtime shifts, and Michael has gotten better at taking things off his plate. The bigger test for Michael was at home. The first rule was no talking about work during family time with the kids. Easy. But no work email at home? That was a lot harder. Michael says he's managing. Like, just the other night, the assistant principal pinged him about a concerned parent. Lauren gave him a look, but told him to read the email. Michael felt like it was a test, an important one. I said, nope, I can deal with that in the morning. I have a system set up to be able to handle that first thing in the morning. Um, was a moment of victory and a feel-good moment. A hug and, and a kiss and kind of like this overdramatic, you do love us type thing, right? <laughs> Do you think that having a more balanced lifestyle has, in the big picture, actually caused you to be a worse, I don't know, father figure to all these other Daniels? Or do you think it's actually, in some ways, benefited your ability to do that? I think it's definitely uh, benefited those opportunities because we always have to remember we are modeling the way for students. Boundaries in front of them is helpful as well, then. They have to do it in their everyday lives. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas, you know, I was just, like I said, going, knocking on doors and waking kids up and bringing them to school, right? And understanding where's the problem of practicing that. Yeah. Oh, I was up really late watching movies, right? Or I didn't get to bed at a certain time. So how am I modeling for them to set boundaries within the capacity of their own life Mm -hmm. to prioritize what is best in the moment? Michael still exercises at the gym early in the morning. But instead of heading straight to work, he now races back home to spend time with the girls, waking them up, getting them dressed. On days he comes home early, he helps Leighton with her homework or just hangs out with Lauren. I know that means the world for her just to show that I listen and and show that I can manage both of the worlds and that I need to make sure my own babies see me and get to experience me on a regular basis, just like my school community. Do you think if Skeeter was here now, he'd be like, oh, you got your life together? Yeah, I think he'd be proud. He'd be really proud of the community I built and of the family that I'm, I'm leading. I think I'd get that, that big Skeeter smile. And are you grateful to him for sort of leading you on this journey? I owe my life to him. And others might owe theirs to Michael. He often hears from former students where they've gone, what they're up to. He keeps track of their progress. But there was one contact that meant the most to him, the student he helped before he ever became a teacher. Daniel. Daniel figured it out. He made it to trade school and became an auto mechanic. Yeah, he reached out to me on Facebook years later and said, hey, I graduated, and just thanked me for my patience, for always being there for him which is why you do the work, right? Every time you get those messages from students, it's a frog in the throat. You've been listening to Home Made by Rocket Mortgage. My name is Stephanie Fu. You can reach us at rocketmortgage.com slash homemade. Thanks for listening. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLS Consumer Access.org number 3030.